Good morning, everybody. This is a day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Let's have a quick prayer, even though Bill's already prayed. Um, Lord, I just want to ask for your anointing on this message one more time and uh, pray that you'll give us ears to hear, uh, to take that which is of you and to incorporate it in our faith. And uh, what's not of you, just let that go. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're celebrating the joy this morning of God's big story. Amen? Um, the baby Jesus coming into our world, our dirty world, and saving us from sin, forgiving us, cleansing us, and uh, setting us on fire for him. Indeed, we heard a few moments ago that the good news of Christmas is a message of joy. Are you happy? I'm really happy that I get to preach on joy. And yet, if you're like me, um, you often feel surrounded by pickpockets. Uh, pickpockets of peace, pickpockets of security, pickpockets of health and freedoms that we enjoy, and pickpockets of joy and money. Money. How many of you have experienced that situation where two or three or four appliances have broken in the same season and uh, it feels like money's just flying out the window? Um, I know I'm not alone in that. Uh, Laura and I were at the Vatican a few years ago and we were warned that out in the courtyard uh, you really had to watch out for gypsy pickpockets. Um, and in fact, I have Millard and Shirley's permission, uh, the parishes, to, to, to say that they were actually pickpocketed. Uh, ap shortly after they were married, they were traveling to Kenya uh, by way of Rome, and they were pickpocketed of their money, their passports, uh, and everything. But God used it for good in the end. There's an expression in our culture that we are to stay in our pocket. Um, and this, this expression is used in sports. For example, when a quarterback drops back to pass, he uh, is safest in the pocket. Um, it's used uh, among musicians, meaning to uh, stay in your lane and blend in with your ensemble and your other instruments. Um, by extrapolation, it, it means do what you do well. Do what you were born to do. Be who you were born to be. And I want to say this morning that the pocket of Christmas is joy. Uh, the Magi saw the star and had great joy, didn't they? Um, the baby John leaped for joy in Elizabeth's womb at Mary's greeting. And the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of a great joy, which is on the banner right behind me. Two Christmases ago, Laura and I spent up at our cabin in northern Minnesota, and I arranged for a little Christmas joy. A giant elf showed up. Uh, he's kind of a little bit fat and a little bit ugly, but it got Laura rolling with laughter. 
And so we enjoyed that moment. Uh, when our kids were growing up, we loved to get Laura laughing as hard as we could uh, because of the face she made, uh, and you can see it here. Well, how can we stay in the Christmas pocket of joy? How do we resist the pickpockets that are surrounding us so often? Well, first we have to identify what these pickpockets are and then resist them. The scriptures talk a lot about resistance, don't they? We're to be on guard, that no advantage be taken of us uh, by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And so here we are in the middle of the Christmas season. It's supposed to be joy-filled because of what God has done, and yet there's all these pickpockets around us trying to steal that joy. We're to remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and that we are to resist him. Take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist him in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand. I've identified four pickpockets uh, that I think the Lord would have us talk about this morning. The first is the fear of chaos. Have any of you just felt like the world is spinning out of control and it's tempting for this fear to hit your heart? Uh, So the first one is the fear of chaos. The second is the pressure of a real crisis. And we all have these happen to us time to time. The third is the reality of grief and loss. And the fourth is the tyranny of Christmas expectations. Can anybody say, yeah? The tyranny of Christmas expectations. Last week, Bill exhorted us to ponder, to get alone, and to read the Christmas story and to ponder um, ponder it from different angles, from different perspectives. Try to see it with fresh eyes. And so I want to talk about poor Joseph uh, today, the father of Jesus, not the biological father. I guess I should say the parent of Jesus. Uh, And I want us to try to put ourselves into his shoes. This was a man in crisis, uh, excuse me, in chaos. Uh, So let's do that. So imagine Joseph. Uh, He's betrothed to Mary. He's excited. He's in the thrill of the engagement period. Uh, He has hopes of love blossoming, a dream of a family. And then, bang, Mary turns up pregnant and not by him. That introduced some chaos. And what emotions must he have felt Uh, when that happened and before the angel came and told him what was going on. He must have felt uh, confusion. He must have felt angry. He must have felt betrayed. Um, And he must have felt humiliation. And yet, he must have also have worked through all those emotions to an extent before the angel came, because it says in the scripture, before the angel came, that he decided to put her away quietly, being a righteous man. Well, he works through all these 
emotions, he humbly decides to put her away quietly. Maybe he can finally get a good night's sleep, and then boom, an angel comes to him in a dream, and now he knows he's not only to wed Mary, but he's to bear the heavy responsibility of parenting the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Chaos. The Savior of the world. So they imagine their marriage ceremony. Is she showing when they get married? Is he humiliated? Do people think he's crazy to marry her? He probably can't tell many people that God impregnated her because they would for sure then think that he's crazy. Now he's married, except he can't have sex with her until the Savior's born. And for, you know, a red-blooded male, that is chaos. That's a crisis for a new groom. And then the heavy hand of government inserts its hand itself, and he must travel with a very pregnant wife about 90 miles by donkey. Let's say that's a 10-day journey, I'm just guessing, uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. All of the hotels are full, and uh, I can just hear him retort to Mary, no, I didn't make a reservation. Hotels.com, it was, wasn't working in Nazareth, and my cell phone had no service in the desert. And so they end up in a barn giving birth to Jesus. And I wonder, you know, was Mary furious with him? Um, I know more than one woman who might be furious about having a baby in a barn. Was Joseph feeling a sense of failure like, great, my first big act as a father uh, to the Savior of the world, and all I can find is a barn? What a failure I am. May lightning strike me now. But then maybe he thought, I know, I know. I'll make sure Mary and the baby have some privacy, some peace and quiet. Kind of, we'll, we'll kind of regroup here. Not to be, however, all these weird people start showing up. A ragtag group of shepherds show up. Some weird dudes from the east come with gifts, among which is gold. Well, if I were Joseph, I would be thinking, how in the heck am I going to get that home? We'll be robbed and beaten for sure, and I left my 9mm in Nazareth. Finally, everybody leaves, and Joseph maybe finally gets to sleep, only to have another angel show up in his dream and tell him that now uh, his son's life is in danger, and he's got to flee with the family to Egypt. Well... I looked up how far away Egypt was from uh, Bethlehem, and it's about 430 miles away. And they're traveling by foot. So here Joseph is with a bunch of gold, traveling 430 miles through lands where he doesn't know what language the people are speaking, probably, um, to flee Herod who wants to kill his family, or at least baby Jesus. You guys, I know you'd be thinking, where are we going to eat? Where, where are we going to sleep? Uh, how am I going to get on in this strange land where I don't know the language? Scholars say that it took about three years before Jesus and his family were able to return to Israel. 
So this was a man in chaos, and yet God helped him. In the news, up is down, good is bad, every man does what is right in his own eyes. Um, it's just a confusing swirl of truth and lies, and we don't know what to believe, do we? Uh, we, we think, well, maybe I've got the best news source, but there's a little part in our hearts that it's think, you know, we think, even they're lying to me. Or at least there's a lot of lies mixed in with the truth. And even if I pursue an issue deeply, am I really going to know the truth? Um, a little example of uh, just the chaos in the news. How many of you have been watching the World Cup? Um, and uh, I sat down to watch the uh, U.S.-Iran game. But before the game, I heard on the news that the general population of Iran was rooting for the U.S. because they saw the, the soccer team as an expression of the Iranian government. And they wanted, and they're protesting, and they wanted the government to be humiliated. And so they were rooting, not for their country, but, but for the U.S. And then the next thing I heard was that they had been told, the Iranian players had been told, they better visibly sing their national anthem, or their families would be tortured or jailed. Um, I had a vague memory of a player from some country uh, who was murdered after uh, he caused an own goal in uh, 1994. I looked it up, it was 1994, it was a Colombian soccer player. Great guy, his country loved him until he accidentally armed, you know, the ball hit his arm before it went in the goal. When he got back to his country, uh, he was murdered. And so, I didn't know who to root for. I mean, I was wanting the U.S. to win, but I was also scared, you know, what happens if Iran loses? And indeed, uh, none of the players that we know of have been executed, but um, there was a friend of the midfielder who honked his horn to celebrate the victory, and the Iranian security forces shot him in the head. So we live in a very chaotic, uh, confusing time. When we're overwhelmed with fear of chaos, how can we button up our pockets with joy? I say we do it with the powerful reminder that God is always on his throne. God is always in control. He still and always will be in control, sovereign and exalted. Let me read to you a little bit from uh, Psalm 2. Verses 1 through 5. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, Let us tear their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. 
The Lord scoffs at them. He will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And then from the book of Jude, starting in verse 18 and jumping to the end. In the last times there shall be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And then these great words, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with what? Great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. The fear of chaos is a pickpocket of joy, but God is in control. God is on his throne. Hallelujah. The second pickpocket is the pressure of crisis. Um, I, I, you know, I've walked with you guys a long time. I've seen you in crisis. You've seen me in crisis. Um, I, I'm sure I've told you the story of Nathaniel kayaking across Canada by himself, and we get a call from the uh, Canadian Mounted Royal Police at 11 o'clock at night that his kayak has been found at the bottom of a waterfall. Um, his personal locator beacon that I told him he had to wear on his arm at all times was in the kayak. His life jacket was in the kayak, and a fisherman had dragged the kayak to a, a remote fishing camp. And um, we went to prayer. Um, I went to my knees in my study. Laura uh, went to prayer, but her way, she's a woman of action, so she was vacuuming and cleaning like nobody's business. I don't know that our house has ever been so clean. But, um, uh, and I remember, Gordon, you, I'm sure you've forgotten this, but you called about 2 a.m., and you said, Jim, I, I think he's all right. And, um, but what I want to share with you about that time was just the peace and the presence of God that was with us at that time. It turned out that about four in the morning, um, he called. He was in, I guess he'd, he'd been picked up by helicopter after being stranded on an island above the falls. Um, and um, his first word, words were, Dad, you hurt my feelings. And I said, what? Uh, and he said, uh, they told me you thought I was dead. And I said, I didn't think you were dead. And he said, it, it hurt my feelings that you thought I would die so easily. You know, <laughs> dumb kid. <laughs> Another time, Laura was bit by a copperhead, and she's in the emergency room, and uh, her leg is all swollen up, and who should come to visit but Jim Barger? Some of you remember Jim, and just him being there kind of ushered in the presence of God, and 
he would tell a joke and Laura would throw up. He would tell a joke and Laura would throw up. And uh, yet we were all laughing and the joy of the Lord as well as the crisis were in the, in the same room. Definition of a crisis is a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. And crisis is no respecter of persons, is it? It, it hits and we're in it. And sometimes it hits during the Christmas season. So how can we protect ourselves from this pickpocket of joy by remembering no matter what the crisis, God promises his presence with us. And I know you felt that in your crises. Though the pressure is intense, the pressure of crisis, his presence is greater still. God speaks prophetically from his word saying, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even if you are faithless, I will be faithful. And this season we celebrate that he is always Emmanuel, God with us. Let's read this verse together. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Certainly God was with Moses when he went before the Pharaoh. Certainly God was with the Hebrew people when they were backed up against the Red Sea. Certainly God was with Joshua and Caleb when they saw the giants in the land. Certainly God was with David when he slew Goliath and with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Surely God was with Elijah when he challenged the priests of Baal, with Jonah in the belly of the whale, with Paul when he was shipwrecked, stoned, received 39 lashings five times, beaten with rods three times, and spent a night and a day in the waters of the sea. Certainly he was with Peter, when Peter was crucified upside down. And he is with us in every and all our difficulties, enabling us to endure every trial and adversity because of his great sustaining power. Can I get an amen to that? The power of his presence. John 16, 13 in the Amplified Version says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory abiding. Hallelujah. God is with us in crisis. A third pickpocket of Christmas joy is the reality of grief and loss. Many of you are grieving the loss of a loved one this season, some very recent, uh, some not so recent, and yet you still miss and grieve the loved one that has gone on to, the, to heaven. There's grieving over uh, upcoming losses that we know we'll face. This is called anticipatory grieving and is very real. Some of us are sick, 
grieving the loss of physical abilities, the loss of energy, the loss of ease of movement that we used to take for granted, didn't even think about. Some of us are parents whose children have experienced a loss and how deeply we grieve over their loss and ours. Some of us are grieving a loss of youth. And, um, you know, when you get to be an older man, uh, so many of us lose our hearing. And some of you are saying, what? You know. <laughs> so many of us are losing our hearing. And I love the, the uh, story of the three old men flexing their muscles on the beach. Uh, the first one says, it's windy today. And the second one says, no, it's not, it's Thursday. And the third one says, thirsty? Me too. After this, let's go get a beer. I just threw that in there. <laughs> so grief has a life of its own, though, doesn't it? Um, you, sometimes when you're grieving, you, you want to cry. You want to re the release of, of, of expressing the grief, and nary a tear will come. All quiet's on the Western Front. You can't make it up. You can't conjure it up. And then when you're least expecting it, boom, it overwhelms you, and you weep, and you cry, and um, in your mind, maybe you're confused about why now? And at Christmas time, many people experience losses in the Christmas season. But in the midst of it all, of our grief and loss, God speaks prophetically through his word. And what does he say to us? He says, I am the God of all comfort. I am the God of all comfort. Let me read that passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction uh, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And then one more verse. Uh, or section, uh, Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. How many of you who've been grieving can attest to those words? He restores my soul. He leads me by quiet waters. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they what? Comfort me. Hallelujah. I am the God of all comfort. A third pickpocket of Christian joy is certainly the reality of grief and loss. And then there's the tyranny of Christmas expectations. 
For our Christmas dinner, um, Nathaniel needs his little smokies, these little sausages in a mustard and jelly mixture. Linda Steed, who celebrates with us, uh, Linda, you know what you need. You need your cocktail onions. Um, so we'll put a whole jar out and maybe two disappear. You're kind of alone in that, Linda. <laughs> Esther needs her green bean casserole, and Toby needs garlic green beans. Jason needs cranberry chutney, and I need the canned jelly cranberry stuff that wiggles on your plate. It's right up there in sophistication with spray cheese. But that's, that's another story. <laughs> Laura and I were definitely live tree people uh, early in our marriage till her allergies just wouldn't tolerate it anymore. And we had just bought our first house, a, a farmhouse, up in Grand Marais, Minnesota. The living room had high ceilings, so I was super excited to get a big tree. Well, the U.S. Forest Service, there's lots of woods there, the Superior National Forest. So the U.S. Forest Service sold, um, for a dollar, you could go uh, cut down in the forest anywhere you wanted, as long as it was federal land, uh, two Christmas trees. So Laura and I went out on a snowy day, and we're looking for a Christmas tree, and they're, they're all huge. You know, they weren't, they weren't the right size, so we, we cut down like a 40-foot tree and then cut the top off and brought it home, and I muscled it through the front door into the living room, tilted it up, and it was, you know, too big. It was bent. And so I had the Christmas joy, the manly Christmas joy, of starting up a smoky chainsaw in my living room and cutting that baby down to size. Yeah. But our Christmas pocket of joy can get picked off by our desire to love the people we love, the desire to love them well, to meet all their expectations, the food, obsessing over de decorations, gifts, trying to fulfill everybody's expectations to the point that we miss taking time to do what Bill exhorted us to do last week, is just get alone with God and read his big story and see what he says to you. In our culture, we hear the phrase, it's the real reason for the season. In the scriptures we read, it's God's indescribable gift to us. Jesus Christ coming to earth as a baby. You know, I can't help but think of Mary and Martha. I know I pick on this story a lot, but Martha was doing her best to love the people she loved well. And yet Jesus commended Mary because she wanted attending him to be her overwhelming focus. And uh, Colossians 1, 15, and 18 talks about giving him the preeminence, the first place in everything. It doesn't say even Christmas, but I'm saying even Christmas. Let's read this scripture. And he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
so that he himself might come to have first place the preeminence in everything. Everything means even Christmas. Let me, as one of your pastors, give, your, give you permission to break a few eggs this year about Christmas expectations. Can you receive that? Does that feel good? Oh, Megan's standing up. Oh, okay. I see that. Well, there's a funny clip I want to show you from a movie called Avalon, which is about a, a Jewish family that is emigrating to the United States in the early 1900s. And um, they are emigrating one by one from Poland. And it's Thanksgiving. It's not Christmas. But they decide to break a holiday tradition because they're one of the older men, one of the brothers named Gabriel is always late. Let's watch this together. They broke, they broke tradition. They cut the turkey before Gabriel got there. Let's not let the tyranny of Christmas expectations pickpocket our joy. Amen? So I want to pray this morning uh, and remind you that the pocket, our pocket of joy, we can't let it be taken from us. We're believers. Joy is the disposition of heaven. No matter what we're going through, God is there for us. Amen? If it's in chaos, we celebrate his control. If it's crisis and the pressure of crisis, the presence of Christ comes and is greater. Grief and loss, we look to the comfort of God. And about the expectations of Christmas, we 
make Christ preeminent once again. I want to reiterate Bill's challenge to us last week to get alone and read through the the Christmas story. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Ask God for fresh ways to see uh, his big story, his story of joy. So I'm going to pray through these real quickly. And if you've been experiencing the fear of chaos or a crisis, a grief or a loss, or feeling imprisoned to Christmas expectations, feel free to just raise your hand. Uh, Nobody's going to be looking, and I'll pray for you, okay? So, Father, we just thank you so much that um, the pocket of Christmas is joy. Our pocket as believers is joy. And we want to celebrate your big story and let nothing deter us from that. Um, These various pickpockets that you've led me to mention, the uh, fear of chaos. Father, if there are those who've been experiencing that, uh, I pray that you would cause them to, at the deepest level, Remember and get a fresh revelation that you are in charge. You are in control. You are always, always, always on your throne and working out your plan for the world. So, Father, we know fear is not of you, that perfect love casts out fear. So when we uh, are tempted to, to fear, Lord, we pray we would just rejoice in your control We would run to you as our refuge and our strength, our strong tower, and we would be safe and know we're safe and secure uh, as your sons and your daughters. Then, Lord, for those who are experiencing the pressure of a crisis, and, Father, we just pray for your presence to overwhelm these uh, in the midst of that crisis. We know that you are faithful even if we are faithless. Oh, we thank God for that. We thank you for that, Lord. So bless these who are raising their hands to you, either in their hearts or actually raising their hands right now, Father. Overwhelm them with your presence. And uh, we remember King David, how in Psalm 73, he he started by saying, what uses it for me to be godly? I, I get afflicted all day long, and the worldly seem fat, and vile and no consequences. And yet by the end of that, he says, the nearness of God is the best thing in my life. So we pray, Father, for these who are in crisis, that that would be their uh, testimony as well, that the nearness of God is the very best thing in their life right now. And then we pray for those who are in the grips of grief and loss, Father. This is a part of life, and uh, yet we it's so painful. And so we pray, Father, that the God of all comfort would hold these. We pray that you would hold those who've lost their spouses recently or even long ago, and yet people still grieve. Parents who've lost children, children who've lost parents, on and on it goes. We pray for the comfort of the Holy Spirit that is so real 
and so tangible, and we thank you. And then for the tyranny of Christmas expectations, Lord, for those who need to have the courage to break a few eggs and just attend to you like, like Mary did, uh, we pray you'd give them that determination, Lord. And for all of us, Lord, we pray we would get alone with you and read through your big story and be filled with joy. We praise you, Lord, and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.